you may not know this, but with WBEZ, you can catch up on the news live anytime you want with the WBEZ app or at 91.5 on your car radio. Whether you beam it or stream it, the news is on WBEZ. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it. We made it to another weekend. Coming up, New York Times reporter Alexandra Alter tells us about her recent story about how Goodreads users are review bombing books before they're even out. And so there are thousands of five-star ratings for George R. R. Martin's Winds of Winter, which has no release date. Plus, we have a winner for our 10th anniversary cake decorating contest. But first, it's our chance to sit back, relax, and unwind from the week that was with two excellent humans with us this week. We have the co-hosts of the podcast Just Between Us, Gabe Dunn and Allison Raskin. Hello, you two. Hello. Hello. (laughs) So I think we should start by talking about a new trend that is wreaking havoc at concerts. Now, of course, there has always been the thing of like girls throwing bras on their stage at concerts or whatever, but there have been multiple instances where fans have thrown objects at artists while they're performing on stage. Recently, one singer, BB Rexa, was hospitalized after being hit in the face with a cell phone a full wheel of brie and the ashes of someone's mom were thrown at pink during a concert. Another musician was hit in the face with a bracelet. What the fuck? Why is this happening? What do y'all think? I'm just like trying to think about what I would do if someone threw ashes at me. Oh my God. It's so awful. Because it's like, you want to be respectful, I guess, but it's also so gross. Yeah. Well, and it's so tricky too, because it's like, I imagine these people who are throwing these things are coming from a place of like deep adoration, but it's just like so warped that that's how, you know, Gabe, you're like, uh, -uh." (laughs) no, I don't know. I think there's this thing where everybody wants to go viral or be famous or be connected Mm. in some way. Mm. Like it's giving, like, I want to be so connected (laughs) to this famous person that I want to be written about in conjunction with them. I want to have like something that where like I'm part of the show. And I think it's this like going viral sort of culture where it's like whether or not that's positive or negative mm. does not matter to the person. Mm-hmm. So Allison, I saw on your social, you recently were at a concert. You were very enthusiastic, <laughs> enthusiastic to be there. Would you ever have thrown anything onto the stage? Oh my God, absolutely not. But I think that maybe like part of this instinct is is like the dehumanization of celebrity mm. that like you see that in the way that people interact with celebrities online. They say like absolutely horrible things to them. They act as if they're not real people. And I almost yeah. wonder if that has now extended to like IRL where it's like, oh yeah, if I throw a hard object at Pink, she won't get hurt because she's not real. Yeah. It's so crazy. It's so crazy. Adele actually took matters into her own hands recently and like shot back with a t-shirt gun, which I do respect. <laughs> I fucking dare you. Dare you throw something at me and I'm not going Stop throwing things at the artist, but you can shoot things at people. <laughs> I just think like it would be so scary because you have to understand that they don't know what it is. And there's been a lot of public violence. I mean, I go to a concert and I'm on edge, obviously. Mm -hmm. And like, which shouldn't be obvious, but welcome to America. And it's like, 
And it's like, of course, yeah. if you're up on stage, you would be, you that don't sucks. know that it's a bracelet. Yeah. You don't know that it's a gift. You don't know that it's ashes. You know, it could be, it could be anything. I think too, like the idea of doing it in the middle of performance, it's like they are doing their job right? and you're yeah. disrupting them. Right. Like that's so, it's, it, I can't imagine how frustrating it must be. Like if right now people were just throwing stuff at us, (laughs) (laughs) it's wild. Yeah, because you can't trust people. I don't know. Someone was saying that everyone's gone feral after COVID. Like Mm. that that once it like what came out of lockdown, people forgot how to be people. Just goblin mode. Yeah, which like maybe is true. Um, I think Allison's right about the the dehumanization. Yeah. And I also it's just like I don't know if I'm being nostalgic or what, because I'm sure, you know, there was always stuff that happened at concerts but like it just feels now like people are so entitled and don't know how to behave in public yep yeah no you're totally right so another uh thing i wanted to ask y'all about was a tweet that i saw actually back in april from former buzzfeed news reporter david mack who also coined the term hard pants by the way um, what what's hard what hard pants oh y'all i didn't even know, you know what that like is. soft pants or hard pants jeans or hard pants we all uh, are wearing, have been wearing soft pants during the pandemic are oh, we i've been wearing soft wear pants, pants for again? years <laughs> that's allison's whole deal is soft pants <laughs> i mean soft pants for the win for sure i love soft pants anyway david also recently tweeted about he he wrote my entire timeline is journalists getting laid off and friends vacationing in paris and I, I mean, under that, it's we don't really like talk about the economy on this show, but I felt like that tweet just summed up so much about kind of the current state of things. And I was curious if that resonated with y'all as well. I have a few friends in Paris, but mostly they're in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know two friends who have been in Italy in yeah. the past month as well, actually. That's a really good point. Yeah, we can expand out to Europe in general, I would say. <laughs> I mean, I think it's a really weird time. You know, Gabe and I are both in the WGA, and so, mm-hmm. you know, we're on strike. Um, we do other things, too, so we're still working, but we know a lot of people who, like, aren't working at all. Um, and so I think that, like, there's kind of either, like, hey, we got to live. Let's let's go out on, on our one last vacation mm-hmm. where we know how much money we have. And then I think there's also, like, People work in other more stable industries um, who are able to like successfully plan for a summer vacation because they have a weekly paycheck and benefits. Mm. And um, so it's it's I think so much is like what industry are you in in terms of like how you can even like think about travel, allow for vacation time. Um, Does it have to be something that's planned around the school year because you have kids or, oh, everything sucks. I'm just going to get away because I found a a cheap ticket. You know, it it seems like really runs the gamut probably. But it it ends with everyone being in Italy. (laughs) Something like that. I don't know. I think like I I saw another tweet that was like, it's it's the season where you start to wonder why your friends, how come all of your friends are like on vacation in Europe or whatever. Like it was something similar to that where it was like, how can this person afford to be in Rome right now? Right, right. Like what's wrong with me that I'm not in Rome right now? I... I I've like, yeah, I mean, I've always been a workaholic sort of like I remember in college we had this program that was like, oh, you can go to Amsterdam for like a semester and everyone would go and live in a castle. And I was literally like, well, I'm very busy here. I was like 20. Why did I think I was so busy? 
You should have just gone to Amsterdam. You definitely should have gone to what Amsterdam. What am I doing? That's so funny. Well, yeah, apparently, according to the travel company Hopper, this is travel to Europe this year from the U.S. has already surpassed 2019 level. So Wow. Everyone's trying to get out of here. I wonder how much of it also is like uh, trips that people have been postponing for a mm-hmm. couple of years yeah. and finally able to make happen. Which, to your point, Allison, it's like there is a variety of exp- like of ways that you can end up in Europe. They don't all have to be super bougie. Well, I think it's also like, I don't know, a lot of bad stuff's been happening and is happening. And there's also an element of like, I, I need to also be able to access joy today. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. so, you know, am I also sometimes like, how are they affording this? But all other times I'm like, people are thrifty they figure things out like for sure who knows if they've been saving for this like i i i lean towards the like oh have a great time (laughs) for sure well i think the other piece is like what is money anyway yeah well if any marginalized person friend of mine is on vacation i'm like good for you Mm. and any and any like cis straight white man friend of mine i'm like get back here (laughs) you have work to do stop that that's perfect i love it okay one last thing before i let y'all go did you see the story about how on sunday there was an equipment malfunction on a roller coaster in wisconsin people were upside down people were stuck upside down for two hours no can you imagine i that's why i'd never go on a roller coaster i had a feeling you were gonna say that allison that's a risk that that risk isn't worth it for me I love roller coasters. I love, love, love. Does this like introduce any concern for you or you're, you're not well, going to think about it? First of all, where was this? Wisconsin at like a carnival thing. Okay. Carnival. That's your first, that's your first mistake. <laughs> Cause like at a, at a, a reputable place, like a six flags. It wasn't a six flags. You know yeah. what I mean? You're going to be yeah. fine. Oh, there's been dangerous stuff at all yeah, kinds like, of roller coasters. <laughs> It sounds so painful too, because you know there's those like the bars across yeah, your lap. Like yeah. it just sound it sounds awful. It sounds truly awful. After about fifteen minutes, you're like, how much longer could this go on? Once you right. reach like an hour and a half, oh are you my just god, like, you just uh, fully dissociate. You'd have yeah, to, right? like I don't know. I I how come it took two hours? There was a whole thing about like they needed really tall ladders and the vehicles with the tall ladders. We Get had to like borrow them from Get nearby towns or something. Here. It was- <laughs> Get out of here. Uh, I know. I know. It just Six is- Flags would never. Disney would never because Disney Disney is so run. <laughs> Disney is run on like a, you know what I mean? Very strict situation I over mean- at Disney. So they would never. Although people have gotten stuck, not upside down, I don't think. <sighs> but people do get stuck on various rides. And I'm a kind of a Disneyland freak. Uh, Haunted Mansion. I did not know you were a Disney adult. Yeah, oh, I'm yeah. a Disney adult. I'm a Disney Amazing. gay. I lo- oh, I'm a Disney different. gay. You're, that's different than Disney adult. I feel but like the Disney streets are so intense. <laughs> they shouldn't even be allowed to be there because they've been permanently banned from Disney. Well, I was arrested when I was. Oh my God. I was arrested there when I was 17. So maybe it's expunged. I don't know. But also, like, I would the the if I got in trouble there again, I would oh, go okay. to jail. But wow. I. But since I've never gotten in trouble there since, okay. I will. I I think I'm fine. <laughs> god i have so many questions no they got off a ride in the middle of the ride and stood there frozen afraid and then they got thrown in jail yeah so that's trespassing turns out okay but here's the thing i paid to be there so i should be able to go on every uh, aspect of this that's right customer first game thank you (laughs) 
Thank you. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, thank you both very much for doing this. Let's not hang out on a roller coaster in real life. Yeah. Please. (laughs) Just at Pirates. Let's go to Europe. Let's do it. The real pirates. (laughs) In just a minute, we are going to talk to Alexandra Alter about Goodreads review pylons. And then we are going to talk to the winner of Nerdette's 10th anniversary cake decorating contest. You may not know this, but with WBEZ, you can catch up on the news live anytime you want with the WBEZ app or at 91.5 on your car radio. Whether you beam it or stream it, the news is on WBEZ. Last week, a story from the New York Times caught our attention. The headline was how review bombing can tank a book before it's published. And it was all about the complicated role Goodreads plays in the lives of readers, authors, and the publishing industry as a whole. If you are not familiar with Goodreads, it's the biggest social media site dedicated to books. It's owned by Amazon, and you can list what you want to read and what you have read. And you can also review a book, whether or not it's even out yet, which is where things get thorny. Here to tell us about it is the author of the story, Alexandra Alter. Alexandra, welcome back to Nerdette. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So how important are Goodreads reviews these days for a book's success? I mean, this is one of those factors that like is extremely difficult to actually quantify, but still probably does make a big difference, right? We have seen a pattern over the years, and I think it's particularly important now that pre-orders are so important. Um, A lot of pre-orders happen on Amazon, and those will add to a book's first week sales. So that can pretty much determine whether or not you get on the bestseller list if you've gotten a lot of pre-orders. And so getting a good um, sort of bit of buzz building on good reads will really help an author build into anticipation for his or her book. And I think publishers have really found ways to uh, take advantage of that. One thing they do is they give galleys away on good reads. Um, mm-hmm. They can find out through those connections on good reads what readers are interested in so they can pitch them other books. Authors themselves can use the site. They can have conversations with Goodreads users. And I mean, for a long time and even still, it's really the only dedicated social media platform for book reviews. So the reason you wrote the story partly is because of something that happened recently with a book that came out earlier this month called Everything's Fine by Celia Rabess, which was reviewed on Goodreads before the book even came out. So can you kind of walk us through what happened with that one? Yeah, that was a really interesting case to me because this was a book um, that had a lot going for it. It's her debut novel. It's um, it was buzzy, very buzzy. She got a lot of money for it from Simon and Schuster. It was on several most anticipated lists. It was a Good Morning America buzz pick. And it's about a very Um, kind of timely subject about finding love in politically polarized times. It has to do with uh, a young Black woman who works in finance and falls in love with a white, conservative, Trump-loving co-worker. And so raises all these interesting questions about, um, you know, love and politics and if the two can mix. Um, And there was a lot, I think, of anticipation around this book. Um, But it seemed to have been pretty seriously derailed Um, not in reaction to the content of the book itself, but six months before 
it was published, uh, a bunch of Goodreads reviews started landing, highly negative ones, one star, I'll never read this book, you know, this book is racist, clearly from people who hadn't read the book, but had simply heard what the concept was. Um, Mm. And so that was pretty disheartening to the author because she, you know, this is her first book. And she felt like this was going to really be a huge obstacle for her. She was worried that it would, um, I think she used the word contaminate critical reaction to it, how readers approached it, um, and would just kind of um, make a lot of people biased against her work before they'd even picked it up. And she did feel she was also personally attacked. Um, She felt that, you know, even, even though a lot of the criticism of the book was that it was racist, she felt like some of the criticism was racist itself because they were saying, you know, a black woman can't have that kind of life or those kinds of views or questions. The thing about Goodreads, unlike Amazon, where um, for the most part, you can't review a book until it's published. On Goodreads, you can. And so there are thousands of five-star ratings for George R. R. Martin's Winds of Winter, which has no release date. And everyone's curious when it's coming out, but these are his fans. So it can go in positive directions. It can go in negative directions. But I think most of the literary community is uncomfortable with this idea that, you know, people can have an opinion about a book that's not out yet and share it and galvanize others. Yeah, it does seem like an interesting one in terms of kind of like internet pile-on culture. And, And you see it going in both directions, right? Sometimes you see it to right systemic wrongs and other times you see it because a lot of racist people are really angry that a black girl was uh, cast in Hunger Games, you know? Absolutely. And and in the same way on Goodreads, you see the attacks coming from the right. Um, There is a well-known trans author, Gretchen Falker-Martin, who wrote a kind of, it was a very provocative book. Um, This kind of horror novel set in a world where, um, a certain amount of testosterone turns you into like a viral spewing menace. Um, uh-huh. and so <laughs> there's the trans, trans women in this world are are trying to protect themselves and people went on Goodreads before the book came out and just, you know, absolutely destroyed it and said it was vile and that nobody should read it. Um, and that, you know, that's kind of one example on the other side, you have, um, people on the left attacking a book because the author doesn't share the background of the character or they feel mm-hmm. that the book is in some way um, racist or not politically correct. And I don't think anyone has a problem with um, with people having informed opinions like that. I think the, right. the fear is that these are um, knee-jerk reactions to jacket copy or a tweet that someone saw describing the book. And these are not people mm-hmm. who have digested the material and seen the nuances. And so um, it's often quite divorced from what the book is actually like. And and so that's what's yeah. kind of scary for authors. For sure. And yeah, you mentioned another really interesting case that just happened, which was Elizabeth Gilbert's new book. She's probably most famously known as the author of Eat, Pray, Love, but she's, you know, a best-selling author. And she pulled her new book after Backlash because of its setting in Russia, which is fascinating. Yeah, I thought that was really, really interesting and surprising. And there are a couple of unique things about um, Elizabeth Gilbert, of course, she is really well known. She is really successful. And so mm-hmm. she has a large Instagram following. So when she made the announcement, um, you know, there was a contingent of people who were very upset about the book's setting and said, there's no, you know, there's no reason for you to write a book set in Russia right now while Russia is waging this um, horrendous war in Ukraine. 
Um, and she reacted very strongly to that. And, you know, there were negative, a lot of negative reviews on Goodreads as well. I'm not entirely sure if that was how much that went to her decision or if it was, you know, the Instagram comments and things. Um, but that was interesting to me to see uh, somebody who's so well-established and well-known who could easily have um, gone straight ahead and published and let people read the book yeah. and, and have their own opinions about it. Um, but she strongly felt that it wasn't the right time. That's what she said in her comments and, mm-hmm. and has postponed it. Um, and so it does show too that, that, you know, those kinds of internet pylons um, can certainly come for somebody well-established, not just debut authors or uh, lesser known writers. Well, and that is measurable impact, right? I mean, to pull a book entirely is a huge, huge move. Right. And I mean, what was interesting, I'm sure you followed this as well. The backlash to the backlash was even bigger. I mean, people um, in the book world were horrified um, Mm -hmm. and shocked that she would postpone her book. They said, you know, this is setting a terrible precedent. It's kind of feeding the trolls. It's, you know, are we going to really say now that an entire setting is off limits with any of these kind of cancellation campaigns or pylons? It's sort of like, does that lead, you know, the next handful of authors who are tiptoeing around the subject to say, you know what, I'm just going to skip that one and go for something a little more um, anodyne and see if that goes over better. Mm, yeah. So what is like, I imagine Goodreads doesn't actually have an incentive to do anything about review bombing. Do you like, do you get a sense that they're trying to change anything about the way they're doing things in order to make that slightly more difficult? You know, they say, um, they sent us a statement and they said, you know, we do have um, mechanisms in place for people to report abuse. And we've added some new ways for people to do that. Our you know, user policy is very clear. You're not allowed to attack authors based on something outside of the book. Um, one example they give on the site is you can't say this author owes me money, which I thought was kind of funny. Oh my gosh. Um, you cannot okay. attack other reviewers. Um, you know, there's that. But but in terms of the way the site is set up and what their incentives are, you know, they're they're what they're selling is the users, right? It's like the, how many people are on there talking at any given time? How interesting is the conversation? Um, right. So in some ways, a, a big controversy blowing up a pylon is not necessarily bad for Goodreads if it gets, mm. you know, the users and others to get on there and talk about it. Yeah, we posted your article, a link to your article in our Facebook group, Nerdat Headquarters, just to get a sense of what Nerdat listeners thought about it. And one listener, Bethany, was said they hate that this happens and that Goodreads should at least make it so you have to mark the book as read before reviewing, mm. which is like at least a little something. Yeah, you know? actually, um, that's a great point that they made because I think on Amazon too, if if there is a review in advance of a book, it's usually a Vine members and there, it's indicated that they had access to it. Um, mm-hmm. And so they could do the same thing on Goodreads, still get a, give away the galleys, because uh, publishers love to do that. The users love it. But you could prioritize reviews where you know the book has been read and you could make those the first ones you see mm, and you could yeah. rank them more highly when you're calculating how those stars averages are are made. And, and there's ways that you could make it a little more fair in terms of 
you know, giving greater weight to the to the reviews where they have taken the material into consideration and aren't just reacting to something else. Oh, it's so complicated. Yes, it really is. So before I let you go, I kind of want to put you on the spot because last time you and I chatted, it was about an article you had written for the New York Times about uh, the pandemic plot and how many authors were sort of wrestling with how and whether to include the pandemic in their novels. And I was just curious if you've read any novels lately that you thought did handle the pandemic particularly well or terribly. No, no, that's such a good question. <laughs> um, I feel like there's a whole nother crop of them coming now because I think the first ones that came like um, Our Country Friends by Gary Steinger, yes. um, Wiki Wang's novel. Those were a little rough for me. I thought they were beautiful, but it was right in the thick <laughs> of it. Um, it was. And so with like a slight bit of distance, I'm really interested to see what I think Ann Patchett's new novel might touch on it. I've heard it's excellent. I'm excited to read it. I am too. I really loved Angie Kim's book, Happiness Falls. That comes out in September oh. and is about quarantine. It's like peak quarantine. Oh, time. wow. Yeah. I don't know. Like, it's funny when we were in it, I was like happy to read a reflection of it because I felt sort of validated by how awful it was. But mm. now that we're slightly out of it, I don't it's know like, if do I, I want to go. go back I don't there? know if I want to. Certainly not quarantine. I don't think. But um, yeah, yeah. Um, the one I'm most excited for though is um, Sigrid Nunez, um, who I love. Who's such a brilliant writer, and um, she has a book coming out this fall. Ooh, I can't wait. I will say. As a plug for Angie Kim's book, it's much more like it happens to take place during quarantine than it is about quarantine. And it turns out that's actually a really useful device for a mystery novel. Oh, I love it. Yeah, because they're all kind of trapped and the ability for people to talk to each other actually gets kind of interesting. That sounds so fascinating because I've heard novelists complain about how technology has made fiction harder because it's so hard to keep people apart and keep them wondering yes, where the other yes, people are. And exactly. With quarantine, you have some of that back a little bit. Yeah, I thought it worked really nicely. It wasn't like trying to be about the pandemic as much as it happened to be kind of a convenient device, which I thought was cool. Yeah. And have you read any pandemic romances? Because I'm sort of wanting to read one. No, I have not. Like you could think of like maybe quarantine in like a, you know, surprising roommate situation. Uh, yes, totally. <laughs> that could be pretty steamy for sure. Yeah, it's like the romance, the romance trope where the, the trope is one bed. You show up somewhere and there's one yes. bed. <laughs> but, for, but for your life. I do wonder though, like, is this going to be the last batch for a while? Like we're in this strange place where it's still in the very, very recent past and it's even still happening, but in a way that no yeah. one's taking notice of. And so like, how do you write about that atmosphere? It's so strange. For sure. For sure. Well, thank you for talking with me. This was so much fun. Really fun. I love talking to you always and would be happy to come on again anytime. I would also love to know what some of your favorite pandemic novels have been. If you want to chime in on our Facebook group, that is the place to do it. We are at facebook.com slash groups slash HQ. We've got one more segment for you today, and it is with the person who won Nerdette's cake decorating contest, Kelly Dull. I am really excited to talk with you. I'm so excited to talk with you too. To start... Can you describe the cake? Yeah, it's a vanilla cake and it has a 
lemon um, Swiss meringue buttercream filling and exterior. And then it was covered in a pink uh, meringue icing and then just has like lots of little fondant details uh, kind of encompassing all of the things about Nerdette that I love and that I think of when I think of Nerdette. I loved all the little things. Can you tell us? There was a scout, which I really loved. It was yeah. very fun to see her in a birthday hat. It was super cute. What else did you have on there? Um, so I had both of your logos. So your your older logo and then the new one that you just unveiled recently. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of little pastry things. Because, um, <laughs> you know, you guys always like talk about baking things or you include baking, you know, baking projects in your weekly emails. And I really love that. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an iron throne because that is actually what got me into Nerdette was the recaps with Peter Sagal. Amazing. Um, your little, the tote bag. Uh, yes. <laughs> from like the, Delightful AF. Yeah. <laughs> and then just like a couple of different books. And uh, there was Celeste Ng's um, most recent book. Our Missing Hearts. Yeah. And Rebecca Mackay's most recent book, which I've read both of those. But then there was another book that I included um, that I haven't read, but I just saw it as one of, I think it was one of your book club. The Kevin Wilson book, yeah, right? Yeah. I haven't read that one yet, but. Um, oh my gosh, you have to. <laughs> I will, I'll definitely put it on my list. And then of course, Scout, which I had to include. Um, I am also, well, my, my Corgi passed away earlier this year, but I had, oh, I'm Kelly, a, I'm sorry. Thank you. Um, but I, you know, as a previous Corgi owner, I had to include the Corgi because they're just, they're amazing. <laughs> I do think that's a lifetime club membership. Yeah. Like once you, once you live with a Corgi that it's just never the same after that. I know they have such personalities. They really do. I will say behind the scenes, we had a little hesitation giving this to a professional chef because it was just sort of like, you know. I know. But I think what won me over or what won you over, I guess, I don't know, however we phrase that, is the fact, like, I felt like thematically you just captured so much about the show and the cake. Well, I have to say, I do feel a little guilty for winning <laughs> um, because of those things you just said. Um, I even, when I when y'all first announced that you were doing the cake contest, you know, I saw in in your email or something um and mm-hmm. i texted my sister and i was like am i allowed to enter this like should i enter this um and she was like yeah you absolutely should like you love it you absolutely yeah, she should. was like you love it you should do it and i was like i know but i'm a professional and i know it's going to be you know a lot of home bakers and and i think you know i want them to you know feel excited about the cakes that they make so i do feel a little guilty for entering and winning but i just you know, I was really excited to create all the little things. So, <laughs> so how often do you find yourself like, are you inclined to make stuff like that for fun usually, or does it end up feeling too much like work? No, I, I love doing it, honestly. That's awesome. And those are the things that I, I most enjoy, you know, not only the creating, but then just like sharing it with people, um, you know, especially people who, you know, create art that I get to enjoy. Um, I made cookies for Peter Sagal once. Uh, so that was like also pretty exciting for me. So yeah, I just really like to share what I do with people. So <laughs> how did you decorate the cookies? Were they just bald? <laughs> um, I did a book <laughs> cover for him and then I did, yeah, I, I think I did like a wait, wait, don't tell me one, you know? So yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. I yeah. love it. Well, I do think that's a really cool way for you to, to share your creativity with people whose creativity you appreciate. I think it's really wonderful. Yeah, it really brings me a lot of joy. And, you know, it's important to me because, um, like, 
media and books and things like that, they bring me so much joy. Um, my parents are educators. And so like mm. reading has been such a huge part of my life, um, you know, my whole life. And so um, it's always really special for me when I get to like meet someone and, and tell them how much their work means to me. So yeah. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. Since you are, since you spend so much time thinking about baking, I imagine, is there anything that you would recommend that someone who is maybe on the slightly more amateur side bake this summer? Sour cherries are my favorite and it's just about sour cherry season. Um, and I love making focaccia with sour cherries on top, which might sound weird to folks, but it's actually so, so delicious. My jaw just dropped. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Just top it with like, you. the annoying thing is you have to pit the cherries, which is really annoying. Um, mm. but it's worth it. It's so good. It's like savory that and sweet and yeah, it's amazing. So that's probably my favorite summertime bake, honestly. I'm going to make the shit out of that, Kelly. That sounds amazing. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. This was very fun. Yeah, this was great. Thank you guys for hosting the contest and for picking me. And then, yeah, just thanks for your podcast. I, I always love listening. That is the delightful Kelly Dull. I just want to say a very heartfelt, sincere thank you to all of you who made entire cakes and then decorated them and sent in your pictures. I think if we were to do this again, I would try to figure out how I could actually eat the cakes. But it was so much fun to see all your different decorations. I also have to do a special shout out for the person who started making the cake and then gave up slightly less than halfway through and just started eating the cake. Respect, respect. Nerdette is produced by me and Anna Bauman. J.P. Swenson builds our newsletter and our executive producer is Brendan Bailey. We will see you next Friday. Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Meantime, it was chaos today at the Chicago City Council. A Chicago cop with a controversial past is running for judge. Other times you're looking for a deeper understanding of what's going on in the city. Wow, that's so no one has asked me that question. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts or at wbez.org slash rundown.